You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. people, the idea of creating and sticking to a budget is intimidating. I'm one of those people. The thought of investing, managing debt, and saving for major purchases such as a car, a house, or even an investment, it can overwhelm really anyone that doesn't understand the navigation and balance in monthly finances, taxes, accounting issues, For the consultant pharmacist, I'm thinking of specifically because we noticed through the Pharmacy Podcast Nation that there are a lot of pharmacists who are leaving the traditional pharmacist environment and moving to their own businesses, their entrepreneurs. Uh, We're excited about that. We like seeing that. As a matter of fact, I predict, and I want everyone to pay attention to this prediction so we can see if it comes through. I predict within the next two years, we'll have about 10% of our 311,000 pharmacists that are out there in entrepreneurial consultant-like roles where they're doing something that's very much untraditional. And over the next five years, that will probably jump to 20%. That will change everything. Because we're cognizant of things like this within the marketplace, and especially in supporting the pharmacy industry, more specifically, our favorite providers are pharmacists. The Pharmacy Podcast Network is excited to welcome Derek Delaney, and he is the podcast host of PharmD Money, which is a podcast that's available on all podcast platforms. Once again, that's called PharmD Money. And I'd like to welcome Derek Delaney officially to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thank you very much, Todd. I am excited to be a part of the network and I am excited to bring my education, knowledge and expertise about finance and deliver that in a way that pharmacists can use to take actionable steps to hopefully improve their finances. Financial planners, I don't get you, don't really understand you, (laughs) but I know I need you. They provide a variety of services that really offset the risks, or at least mitigate the risks of things like investments and what we can do uh, with our money to maximize that money. So people like yourself who are passionate about financial planning and, and helping other people, that's attractive to really any professional, but you've focused on pharmacy and pharmacist. Why is that, Derek? That's a really good question. Um, When I first got into the industry seven years ago, pharmacists were not my focus right away. But as I navigated through the industry and really started to focus on real financial planning and not brokerage services, and when I say real financial planning, I mean really helping people solve complex problems that are going on in their financial life and not just sell financial products like annuities and mutual funds. As my career advanced toward real financial planning, I understood that there were a type of people that I wanted to work with. And it became very clear that people in the pharmacy industry, specifically pharmacists, fit that type that I really enjoyed working with. And the number one reason I think that is the case is because I have a natural affinity to the pharmacist profession. 
I have a wife who is a practicing pharmacist right now. And I don't know about you, Todd, but do you ever see somebody do something that you know that there is no way you have the ability to do? And you kind of just get a natural respect for that person for being able to do that thing that there's no way you have the ability to do. Because <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what happened to me when I watched my wife go through pharmacy school. I remember there was a time where I went to visit her while she was in pharmacy school and it was her school's homecoming and it was Friday night and everybody was getting ready to go out and have fun. And she was in her apartment with her roommate, who was also in pharmacy school. And they were studying for an exam that was coming up in like a week and a half. And I just thought to myself, why on earth are you doing this now? And it's got to be crazy that you're spending this much time trying to get educated for some job that is not going to become a reality for many years down the road. And as she went through school and as she graduated and as she got her white coat and as she got into the profession, and as I learned more about the type of work she was able to do, I became extremely impressed with not only her, but other professionals like her in the industry. So I just grew that natural affinity for pharmacists and the type of work they do. And the other reason why I decided I wanted really niche in and focus on pharmacists is because they share the same type of personality traits that I enjoy working with. For example, a lot of pharmacists that I know have driver personalities. They're not afraid to make decisions. They're also in a helping industry where I think they see the value of having an expert at their side, help them through things that they don't understand completely themselves because they work through that same thing in their profession every single day. And then finally, I found that a lot of pharmacists just naturally are inquisitive. They want to learn. They want to get better at all sorts of things that are going on in their life. And money is just one of those. So all that combined made it really easy for me to make the decision that I want to spend my time helping the pharmacist industry and helping pharmacists become better with their money. So I think there's some similarities uh, to what you're doing as a professional financial planner and a pharmacist. A pharmacist relies on data to make critical decisions for their patients in medication management. They rely on evidence-based studies. They rely on metrics telling them if it's a drug, drug, drug uh, allergy, drug food um, interaction in order to assure that the treatment that that patient is is going to uh, give the possible best outcome. It's not guaranteed, but we're really putting the patient on a pathway to mitigate their risks of what could happen with their medications. And in the specialty pharmacy uh, arena, that's even amplified even more so because uh, some of those medications are uh, must be monitored and actually must even be partially reported back to the manufacturer through something known as REMS reporting. So I think there's, a, there's some parallels here to what you're doing for your client and what a pharmacist is doing for their patients. I 100% agree. I mean, that is perfectly said on your part. Financial planning is an inexact science. I like to tell people that financial planning is being less wrong tomorrow than you were today because things change so rapidly in our life, specifically around our money, that you can't make decisions and think that those decisions are going to be set in stone for the next 5, 10, 15 years. So to do real financial planning, you have to understand that and you have to be able to evolve and adapt your recommendations to what's going on in your environment as far as changes personally and changes economically or politically. 
So I love, I love how the pharmacy profession aligns in that way with what real financial planners are able to do for their clients. So let's talk about podcasting. Um, I got in podcasting in 2009, really didn't know what I was doing. Uh, didn't feel good about the publication probably until my third year um, of really kind of leveling up in the quality. I've listened to your show several times, really impressed with the quality and the um, the purpose of each and individual episode. Why did you choose the platform of podcasting as a way of getting your messaging out there? I chose podcasting because I think it's the best way to reach as many people as I possibly can in order to provide them with education and information that I think can make a positive impact in their life. I talk to a lot of people, pharmacists and non-pharmacists in my personal life. And the topic of money always comes up because it's, there's always something going on in somebody's life that they feel is important enough to ask questions about. So through all these conversations I have with people, certain questions keep coming up that are very similar. And my thought was, well, if I can take those specific questions or those specific topics specifically related to money and educate the masses through the medium of podcasting, specifically geared toward pharmacists, I can reach a lot more people than I can just as a single individual. And my hope is that by spreading that message on a medium like podcasting, it's going to help a lot more professionals than I would be able to do myself just from one-on-one -on -one conversations. So I'm excited that you're going to be uh, giving um, your insights to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Um, and let's create an atmosphere with our listeners. You're listening to this show right now. If you have questions for Derek, reach out to Pharmacy Podcast on any of the social media platforms. Derek, share with your, um, with your new listeners, with our listeners, uh, where, where they can engage with you. I know you're on Twitter. What, what other platforms are you using? Yeah, so I am on Twitter, like you mentioned. I have a personal and business LinkedIn page. Um, I'm posting on Facebook, so I have a personal and professional business Facebook page. I also put a lot of great content on my website. So I actually have a piece of my website that is completely dedicated to education that I call my learning hub, learning hub for pharmacists to be able to go to and watch my YouTube videos and listen to old podcasts and read blogs that I have written. So if anybody ever wants to engage, I would take advantage of those social media outlets because I am very responsive on those. And if anybody has any sort of personal questions, feel free to email me directly. My email address is Derek at farmdfp.com. And those would be the easiest ways to get a hold of me if any questions or concerns come up that are related to money that you'd like me to touch on in one of my podcast episodes or any other outlets I have to educate the pharmacy profession. So we're going to list all of that connectivity um, in, in platforms uh, of where you're accessible in the show notes. I do want to throw you a curveball, and that is what, how do you, how do you start when you, as I, as, uh, as I've expressed to you in several of our own conversations, you know, I need um, some direction in my own uh, personal finances because it really parallels my business finances as well. Um, I'm a little bit more touchy about the business side than the personal, but they're intermixed, as you know, as a as a small business owner, as an entrepreneur yourself. 
Well, what are you, where do you start? What, what could you tell our listeners if they're wondering, hey, maybe I should, uh, you know, do a, a checkup on myself and then, and, and then reach out to a professional like yourself? Yeah, I definitely would start with personal awareness of what your financial situation looks like from a quantitative standpoint. And what I mean by that is I recommend any clients that I have or any prospects that are thinking about working with me that are in the process of having conversations with me that the first place you want to start is by creating your own cash flow statement. And basically, that's just tracking how you spend your money. It's not creating a budget or trying to fit your personal life into specific numbers on a spreadsheet. It's how much money do you spend every month? Where does that money go? And start tracking that because awareness of your personal financial situation is really important. And then on top of that, create a net worth statement. Take all your assets, everything you own on one side of a piece of paper. Then on the other side of the piece of paper, list out your liabilities, subtract those assets from the liabilities in that outputting number is your net worth. And having an understanding of where those two things are at, what your current cash flow situation looks like and where your net worth sits and how your assets and liabilities stack up is a wonderful place to start when you want to look at improving your financial situation because awareness of your own financial situation is the heartbeat of real financial planning. I mean, we could talk about investments and insurance and taxation and planning strategies and all that, but it means absolutely nothing if we don't know how to apply it to your own specific situation. And the majority of the time, people don't have a very good understanding of their current financial situation. They know they have a 401k and they know they spend a lot of money at Starbucks and Amazon, but they can't really quantify that. So I would say the best place to start is by creating some sort of spending tracker that you can better understand what the reality of your cash flow situation looks like and also create your own simplified net worth statement so you have a really good high level understanding of what your current financial reality is at that time or at this time. I like that. I really do. When I look at the world today, I'm really interested in the shift in commerce, the shift in money pathways and the world of cryptocurrency and how that plays into the future of uh, financial presence and financial investment and uh, financial health of the future. Uh, I always balance the world of innovation to status quo and reality and where we are. Uh, for example, we did a podcast with um, with IBM uh, Health Watson, or I'm sorry, IBM Watson Health. Um, they're an amazing organization that that is really pushing the the um, the artificial intelligence angle to medicine and therapeutics and treatments. And we interviewed three pharmacists about artificial intelligence, and they really gave the reality of AI today. And then they also gave. Uh, some predictions about AI in the future. What do you think of uh, cryptocurrency and, and how that plays into the global um, wealth per se of of our world in comparison to our, our traditional world of, of financial being and, and, and money in general? It's a really, really great question. And cryptocurrency has been a hot topic for a lot of millennials and Gen Zs, I would say over the last 18 to 24 months. I mean, you look at a crypto like Dogecoin that turned 
just average everyday people who had a couple thousand dollars to put into it into millionaires over the course of a month. So that really piqued a lot of interest recently into cryptocurrency, but I still think it's got a tremendous way to go before it can become a really established piece of currency that can be used every day in our world. And I think the biggest hurdle cryptocurrency has is getting the baby boomer generation on board because they're the generation that right now holds the majority of money in America. And to get the baby boomer generation on board, you have to make it a lot easier and more simplified to purchase and use cryptocurrency because if it's not, they're not going to want to deal with it. And I also think that the, the message that cryptocurrency is spreading to that generation is kind of fraudish, even though I don't think it is. There's a lot of people on social media that are pumping, pumping cryptocurrency right now. Cryptocurrency is basically marketed through memes and different things like that. And the baby boomer generation does not respond well to that because it seems really gimmicky, where if you look at annuity companies that want you to buy annuities, baby boomers are attracted to them because the commercials and the marketing and the advertising that gets produced there is people holding hands and walking on a beach with calming music and baby boomers are more attracted to that. So I think in order for cryptocurrency to become more mainstream and for it to catch on even more in America, they have to kind of give up the gimmicks a little bit. So older generations that hold more of the wealth in America are able to adapt onto it. And once that happens, I think it's really going to hit a steep curve of engagement, which is going to help it. But I don't see that happening for maybe five, 10 years down the road, just because it takes baby boomers that long to adapt to something. And it's going to take even longer for that generational wealth to flow down to the Gen Xers, the millennials, and the Gen Zs, who I think are more readily able to adapt something like that right now. So I like cryptocurrency. I think it's a great piece of, I think it's a great asset that most people should have as part of their investment portfolio, but I just don't think it's going to be something that is going to explode in popularity in the next 12, 18, 24 months, just because I don't think that older generation that holds the majority of wealth in America is going to adapt onto anytime soon. I like that. I And I think that we're seeing the bleeding edge versus the stability of what is, you know, financial mechanisms and powers within, uh, within our nation and within the globe. Um, I see this as a form of shifting how we can use um, a form of currency or money in the United States and have it equal the exact same thing in France or Germany or China or wherever and I almost look at this from a 30, 60,000 foot view as the beginnings of this, you know, one world uh, currency ability so that you can trade and you can buy and you can have equal you know, amounts of whatever it is, a credit. Your 100 credits in the United States is worth the same as it is in Australia, as it is in China and, and, and so forth. But the powers that be that are gold standard, silver standard, you know, stocks, bonds, the the tried and true, as you said, um, it's going to fuse together at some point in our, in our lifetime. You know, I'm, I'm mid-age, so I think I'm going to see it in my lifetime. You'll probably see it in your lifetime. The 25-year-old the pharmacist will definitely see it in their lifetime. And I think it's, like you said, I, I think it's financially responsible to at least under, have a 
have a level of understanding, but also to reach out somebody like you, lay everything on the table and say, I have uh, an extra five, ten, twenty-five thousand dollars sitting here. Do I invest this into property? Do I invest this into a stock, a bond, an annuity? Do I invest it into cryptocurrency? Do I, you know, just asking someone what what you think the best outcome is, and then you know, getting that kind of feedback. But very much appreciate that, Derek. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And I would say I would add one other thing on crypto, and that is there is a lot of innovation happening right now behind the scenes that is going to make it easier for people to buy crypto. It's going to make it easier for financial professionals like myself to be able to recommend it to individuals. And I think as that innovation increases and compounds on itself, it's just going to help the cause for crypto becoming maybe the, the single currency in the world. The flip side to that is there's always going to be rules and regulations in each country that are going to limit or make it really, really hard for that to be a reality. So that's why I think it's just going to take a little bit longer than what a lot of people are hoping right now. Before we wrap up, when you send emails, you have a bunch of alphabet soup um, at the end of your name, <laughs> and it's more than FarmD. Um, it, you know, I, I we all know what that is, and and there's so much alphabet soup in healthcare. But describe your um, your certifications and and what those represent. I think there's one, two, three. I think there's four distinct um uh, uh you know notifiers in in your signature yeah so thank you for pointing that out um and we can go over all those but i just want to start by saying that the financial services industry is as far away from being a professional industry as most people i, I most people don't understand that they have a long way to go from it becoming a real professional services industry um I noticed that when I got started in my career, where it took basically two weeks to study for an exam. And the exam was, I think, like 120 questions long. And if you passed it, you legally could call yourself a financial advisor and start selling financial products. And that's the extent of being considered a professional in the financial services industry. Now, align that with what it takes to become a pharmacist, where you have to go to school and get into pharmacy, you have to pass tests and get into pharmacy school and pass your NAPLEX and now, all of a sudden, after you graduate and you get a job, you have these ethics and standards that you have to uphold, where in my industry, in the financial services industry, it's nothing like that. You pass a two-week security exam, you can call yourself a financial advisor, and away you go. And that always never sat right with me because I understood that the public couldn't differentiate one financial advisor from another because the standard of entry to get in was so small. So I took it upon myself that I wanted to be different. And the one way I knew I could be different is to go out and get the type of education that I think professionals like pharmacists would be proud of because they have to go out and get that same type of education in order to do their job. So the first alphabet soup letters behind my name are CFP, and that's kind of the gold standard in our industry where it's a certified financial planner. And that takes um, years of experience, um, certain ethical standards, long testing and other things in order to achieve that. Then you have the CHFC, which is basically very similar to the CFP, but that gets more into estate planning, in my opinion, and special needs planning. Uh, EA stands for enrolled agent, and that is very um, unique in the financial services industry because enrolled agent status is basically the highest 
recognition the IRS can give somebody. So you have to have a really good understanding of taxes and tax preparation in order to achieve that credential. And then the CSLP is pretty new in our industry, and that is specifically designed to help advisors become really, really good at working with people who have student loans. So it's a student loan professional is what that designation does. And that has completely opened up my eyes to all the unique things that can be done to help people who have a lot of student debt that I didn't know before um, over the first five and a half years of my time being in this industry. So those are kind of how <laughs> the, the credentials and alphabet suit behind my name work. But in reality, I went out and, get, and got those credentials because I knew that in order to really be good at your job, you needed a high level of education, much more than what it actually takes to get into the industry. And I really hope that that differentiates me from other professionals who are out there right now, because the more I think pharmacists and other people who are looking to hire financial advisors learn about what it takes to become a financial advisor, I think they're going to expect a lot more. And going out and getting those certifications, I hope will meet that expectation of what I hope pharmacists are looking for when they are trying to find a financial professional to work with. That's good because, you know, professionals like pharmacists want to know that they're dealing with professionals too. Yes. The same level of education, the same level of pride that they've taken in themselves, including those pharmacists who go into specialties. We have pharmacists that are concentrating on pediatrics artificial intelligence, um, program development, diabetes experts, cardiovascular experts. Infectious disease is one of the hottest of the of the sectors of pharmacy. And and I'm excited to see the differentiation. And I, I like that there are uh, themes and there are channels that a pharmacist can dig into. And knowing that they have a financial planner that's taken the same amount of education and pride in their own um, in their own education and, and platform, I think is is a good way of of going, Derek. And I think it's going to drive a lot of uh, respect and, and noticeability of what you're doing. I hope that's the case because that is exactly what I was going for when I wanted to pursue all those certifications and designations. Derek Delaney, founder and lead planner of FarmD Financial Planning LLC. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. We're excited you're here and we look forward to hearing your podcast episodes. Awesome. Thank you very much, Todd. I appreciate your time.